right. Galatians chapter 5 is, is what we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there with me as we look at this issue. And it, tonight we have the assignment, kind of, of 15 verses, but we're not going to go verse by verse. We're just going to catch a couple of themes uh, because we just don't have time and so that we can just kind of communicate this and so so you know if you've been with us we've been talking about about justification and we've been talking about adoption and we've been talking about those words and and sometimes those words are kind of uh, confusing maybe or sometimes maybe you're not familiar with those words uh, but justification is what happens when you accept Christ when you become a believer that you're not trying to work your way to heaven you're not trying to earn salvation you're not trying to work for it. And I know that's a thought in, in our time. It was a thought in, in the, the, the church there in Galatia that Paul is writing to. A group of people came in and says, wait a minute. Uh, there's hoops you got to jump through. There's boxes you got to check off. In fact, is you may never know if you're really done enough or, or checked off enough boxes or just acceptable enough for God. And so justification is an event. It's a one-time thing. And then adoption, you're adopted into the family. And so then there's security in your Christianity. You don't have to wonder if one week you're a child of God and the next week you're not. You just have this security because you've been adopted and you're a, a child of his. And so all through Scripture... God relates the Christian life to a race. Now, I don't know much about running. Uh, you know, I only run if I have to. And that's only to the refrigerator or not far. And, <laughs> or when you miss the trash, I run then. And uh, so, but my wife is experienced in running and she has a history of running and she's done 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. And so I've always... I've always been a spectator, but not a runner. And so, you know what, with the way that she's justified in running is this, because Paul relates the Christian life to a race. I mean, several times in Scripture, he talks about this issue, that it's a race. And guess what? It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it is hard. And it is difficult. And there is struggle involved in that and there are some bad decisions that are involved in that but you're not unjustified you're no longer a brother because fact is the thing that we can be encouraged about all the way through Galatians he still uses the term brothers he still uses the term justified he never says you're unjustified so you can be secure in your salvation but but even in in, in running a half uh, a half marathon or whatever uh, you're justified when you sign up and you pay your money and you get a number and you get an identity. The same thing is true in the Christian life. And so then you start running the race. I mean, there's a path that is marked out for you when you run a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon. Same thing in the Christian life. So Paul begins to start talking about that when you become a Christian, that there's a race that is marked out for you. And, you, and yeah, there's struggle. And yeah, there's hurt. And yeah, there's pain. Verse 1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So why has Christ set you free? Freedom. Not bondage. Not slavery. Not trying to work your way to heaven, not trying to earn it, not trying to deserve it. I mean, it is freedom that Christ has set you free. So he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, what he was telling them, do not go back to your old way of life. Do not go back to the old way of life to where you're trying to work your way to heaven, you're trying to earn salvation, or you're trying to do any of those things. So Paul basically tells them that we're going to see, is it in the race, there's a right path, and there's... 
boy, there's a wrong path. There's a right path that takes you to freedom. There is a wrong path that will take you back to slavery. It is true that even as a believer, you can get on the wrong path and you can still try to work your way to heaven and earn your way to heaven. And there is no freedom in that relationship and there is no joy. You can be a child of God, but you really don't know it because you're just trying to be acceptable. And so many people believe today that there are things that I have to do to earn salvation. And those people that believe that, they never believe they do enough, right? If you've ever been on that path, you know that. You know that there's always in the back of your mind, there are more boxes to check off, there are more hoops to jump through, there is more stuff to do. And so what Paul says, no matter how small or no matter how big, anything that we say that is a means to salvation other than what Christ did on the cross for us is undercutting the gospel. There's, there's another path that some people take. It's, I'll, just, I'll just do it my way. I can believe whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can behave however I want. I can make any decisions that I want because after all, I made that decision. I prayed the prayer. I have fire exting- insurance, so I'm going to heaven. And so, But we find in Scripture that the gospel is not meant to be just believed. It's meant to be believed and obeyed. In fact, is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first sermon, it was so, I mean, all the way through it, he kept saying, hear and obey, hear and obey, believe and obey. So watch this, verse 7. Paul's frustrated. He says, you were running well. You were justified. You were adopted. You're a child. Man, you were doing so good, and you understood grace, and you understood freedom. You were doing so good. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? Who undercut the gospel? Who, I mean, Paul is so frustrated that when he speaks of the Judaizers, and I know this is kind of harsh language, especially for church, but it's in the Bible. In verse 12, he says, you know what? Those Judaizers are telling you that you need to be circumcised. Paul wasn't against circumcision. He was circumcised himself. He was against the thought that you have to be circumcised to be saved. You have to be circumcised to, to, to be a believer, to be a child of God. And so the Judaizers came in and cut in and undercut the gospel and said, you must be circumcised to be a believer. And Paul's like, those guys that told you that, I wish they'd emasculate themselves. In the Greek, you know what it says? I wish the knife would slip and they would finish the job. This isn't church language, right? I mean, sometimes we take Christianity and and we sanitize it. And Paul was mad. Paul was furious that the Judaizers cut in on them. And they were doing so well. Like the friend that cuts in on someone, or a church, or a pastor. Oh, to be a Christian, you didn't do enough. It's rules, rituals, regulations. So Paul sums it up, verses 5 and 6, that, that I get four principles out of, and, and we're just going to call it good for tonight. Watch this. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, the four principles tonight didn't have to be creative at all. They come, you'll see the four phrases in these, three, in these two verses, verses 5 and 6, and we're just going to apply them to our situation. The first one is this, we, the right path. There's a right path and there's a wrong path. The right path is this, is to be lived through the Spirit. The first thing that Paul tells them, the right path, is to understand to live through the Spirit. And Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. The fact is, he talks about the Holy Spirit all through the, this book. And so next week, we're going to start understanding. The fact is, all this doctrinal stuff that we've learned, and this is, this is typically of, of a Pauline letter of Scripture. The first part is always doctrine. The second part is how it applies. And so that's what the next several weeks, we're going to start looking at this issue of the Holy Spirit and Spirit-filled life and what that means and what that looks like. But, but Paul is saying, it is the Holy Spirit that when you are justified when you're a child of God the Holy Spirit comes J John chapter 14 Jesus talked about it other places the Spirit comes inside of you and enables you gives the ability gives you the power to follow him that's why Paul said in Galatians 2 20 that I no longer live but who but Christ lives in me it's the Spirit that, that is the Spirit that unites our life with Christ Christ lives in us. We are not free. When we talk about freedom, we are not freedom from Christ. We are free to Christ. We are not free to sin. We are free from sin because Christ comes into our life and he gives us power. See, Christian freedom does not mean that we do whatever we want. We live whatever, however we want. We make decisions there, however we want. When, whenever you hear someone talk, they're not free at all. So there's no freedom in that. You become a slave to your sinful desires. You become a slave, and it's, it's, it's a yoke of slavery, what Paul has said. And he said that this, when you become a Christian, that the Spirit comes in you, and he begins to, he begins to transform your desires. In other words, he changes, begins to change. And this is the only way I know to say this the way he would say in Texas is, he begins to change your want-tos. Your want-tos because his, become his. When he comes inside of you, your desires, any of you that have been, been a Christian any length of time, know that something began to happen in your life and your desires, your desires. John 15, 10, 11, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, what? You will abide You'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. Joy is found when we abide in him and we abide in this love. We have this love. 1 John 5, 3 says this about speaking to believers. For this is the love of God. Fact is, let's stop right there. You know how you're living a spirit-filled life? See, when we ask that question in our times... We start thinking about speaking in tongues, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, miracles, um, emotion, all that. It's not what the Bible says. You know what the evidence of a spirit-filled life in your life is? Love. How do you love others? How do you serve others? Galatians begins to start talking about the way that you know that you are living in, in spirit-filled life is how do you extend love to others? How do you love others? So that's why, verse 3, for this is the law of God, that we keep his commandments. And then watch this, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. 
They're not a burden to us. Our desires begin to change. See, we live the Christian life and we run the race, not trying to gain salvation, not trying to gain eternal life, but we live it because he lives inside of us and then it is our desire to obey him and to please him. I mean, this wasn't a burden to them. fact is, it was delight to them because when you run on the right path, there is great freedom in that. fact is, when you run a 5K or 10K, a half marathon, they take a lead guy on a bicycle that rides a bicycle to lead you. Scripture says the same thing happens in life, that when you meet Christ... The Holy Spirit, His Spirit comes inside of you and begins to guide you and begins to lead you. That's why Paul is so frustrated with them. And then, look, watch this. Well, the second thing is, is, is this. The right path is to be lived by faith. The first one is through His Spirit. The second one is through faith. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... In other words, in our language, if you believe that, there are, that, that you can attain heaven, eternal life, by your works, then Christ will be no advantage to you. You don't need the cross. I mean, if you really believe that, if you believe you can be a good enough person, then you don't need the cross. Paul is saying, if you think you work for Christ or for God, then you don't need Christ. It's, we, we've learned this, that Christ is working for you right now. He just didn't work for you at one point and then just quit. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated what? To keep part of the law, some of the law, the easy parts of the law? No, the whole law. And we know. Nobody can keep the whole law. We know it's impossible. The whole deal of the Old Testament, the law, was to see our need of Christ because we couldn't keep the whole law. And now, you've got this burden, the yoke of slavery that is oppressive to you because you can't keep the whole law. Verse 4, huge verse. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. We've got to understand that. That does not mean you can lose your salvation. He's not talking about, I've told you. He never quit using the term brothers. He never one moment said justified, and the next moment he said unjustified. In fact, is all of the Pauline letters, everything that Paul writes, everything that Jesus, in fact, is the whole Bible says you cannot lose your salvation. If you believe that here tonight, then can I tell you works is probably a problem in your life? Feeling acceptable because you just haven't done enough? And he says, you have fallen away from grace. This verse is talking about in the Greek. You lose your grasp of. You lose your 
understanding of. You lose your hold on, if you will, because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. We are not working for God. We are trusting God. And there's a huge difference in that. Verse 5, that through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. And we're going to unpack that in the next principle. But Paul talked about faith, and he talks about faith through all of his writings. And we're not working for God like we're a slave trying to earn acceptance or just trying to get into the family. Everything we have, every gift, every ability that we have is a gift from God. The third principle is this, when Paul starts telling us how we live and how we're to run this race, is the right path is to live in hope. Verse 5, again, because it's so critical. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So this is something that hadn't been attained, okay? In the present tense of, of the Greek, the original language, this is something for all of us that is coming. It's in the future. It's the picture of this, and boy, don't pull back, just stay with me. There is coming a day when we'll stand before God. It's called Judgment Day. And we have been justified, which means we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We've been adopted by Him, and that is that now. But there is coming a day, a future time, that we will experience the full understanding of our righteousness of Christ. And he says that day is when you'll fully understand what Christ has done for you in his righteousness. Now, I know it's hard for some of us to believe, but Paul is saying this. I cannot wait to stand before God on judgment day and have the fullness of Christ just a righteousness applied to my life don't raise your hands are you eagerly waiting that day Are you eagerly waiting that day when you'll stand before God on judgment day? See, that's how, that's not how we look at it, right? Because whether it's preachers, whether it's churches, whether it's other Christians, whether it's our own beliefs, we believe that's going to be a brutal day. That's going to be a horrendous day. Because I know what I've done. I know what I've thought. I know what I've said. I know, my, I know my actions. Fact is, most people that I talk with, 
They don't look towards judgment day with eager anticipation. If you're living in legalism, works, then you will never look forward to that day because there's still more boxes to check off. There's still more stuff to do. There's still more things that you should have done that you could have done better. If you've taken the path, I can live however I want. I can make whatever decisions I want to make. I can make whatever moral decisions I want to make. I can make whatever life decisions I want to make. I'm just going to enjoy life. You're not going to look forward to that day. But freedom is this, and living in eager anticipation. When we stand before him, and before we can say a word, the fullness of Christ's righteousness is applied to us in our lives. Can you imagine that? When you stand before him, we still run the race. In a half marathon, there's hurt and there's pain and there's discouragement. But what gets you through it is the finish line, the celebration. In our spiritual life, there's still sin, there's still hurt. There's still pain. There's still struggle. There's still, there's still discouragement. But what Paul is saying, what gets you through it, is this eager anticipation that one day I'm crossing the line and Christ's righteousness will be fully applied to me to where I will understand it down to the depths of my soul. And to hear God say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll understand what it means when we know all the wrong that we have done, all the junk. See, we don't run the race like we don't have hope. We don't run the race without an awareness of him. We run the race with an eager anticipation of what awaits. And we eagerly await that when we cross the finish line, the suffering will end, the hurt will end, the sin will end. The pain will, I've, I've been there. I've stood, I'm just a spectator, but I've stood at the finish line of a half marathon. And I've watched not only my wife, but I've watched others come across the finish line. And the celebration and the, and the excitement and then the, the award ceremony and all the other stuff that goes on, the, the massages and everything else that goes on. And they celebrate different than the spectators. 
And Paul is saying what gets us through it is understanding that day's going to come. No more pain. No more suffering. And his righteousness is fully going to be applied to us. Listen, if you have never accepted him, boy, I pray that you understand what this means. It's not working for salvation. It's not earning for salvation. It's not trying to jump through enough hoops, check off enough block box. It is coming into relationship with him. And if you have never accepted him, boy, how I pray that tonight would be the night. That you would move into a relationship with him and understand the gospel, the pure gospel. This is what Christ did for us on the cross. The last principle is this, that the right path is to live a life with love. The, Holy, the, the Spirit-filled Christian life is to live a life for love. It's all the way through Scripture. In fact, as James said, faith without works is, is dead. John talks about this issue that, that they will know you by your love and they will know you by, by your, your acts and that you are his disciple. Verse 6, watch this, Galatians says, And because you are his son, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, what? Into your life, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It is faith that expresses itself through love. Corinthians says, you can do some amazing things, but guess what? If there is not love, you're a clanging gong. It is worthless. The evidence of a spirit-filled life, the evidence of a mature Christian is how much love do you have for others? How much love do you have for that person that serves you at the restaurant? How much love do you have for the person at a fast food line? How much love do you have for people that inconvenience you? 1 John says love is expressed through faith. And Paul's saying that, that love is an essential to the Christian life. Not a means of salvation. But love is an, ex it's an essential expression of faith. How can we ignore the poor, ignore the needy, ignore the needs of a church in a New Testament community, indulge in whatever sinful desires that we desire to indulge in because we were free? It's not expressing itself through love. If that's you, it just means that there is a problem with the way that you express your faith. Verse 13 for we were called to freedom, brothers. Still calling them Christians. For we were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I got fire insurance. No matter what I do. But through love, what? Serve one another. Spirit-filled life is when you serve one another. Christ is in you. Do you ask him to produce that fruit in your life? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this, For even, even the son of, son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Christ lives in you, 
there is transformation. It should change the way you live, change the relationships around you. You live for the sake of others. That's true New Testament community. It's true local church. We no longer use our freedom as a opportunity for the flesh. See, we, we live in a country, and, and I'm thankful for the country we live in, but because of the country that we live in, sometimes we, we misunderstand freedom. And so we say, well, freedom is this. It means that I can, I'm free. I'm free to live however I want. I, I'm thankful that we live in a country, especially after I saw some of the things went on, 9-11, the Florida pastor that was going to burn the Quran. And I'm thankful that we live in a country that we have freedom of expression. I just wish more pastors and more churches had the discernment not to do so. I believe in separation of church and hate. See, we live in a country that believes that freedom is this. Nobody can tell me what to do. I am free. I can date whoever I want. I can marry whoever I want. I can define marriage however I want. I can kill whoever I want. I can hurt whoever I want. That I am free. So nobody gets to tell me what to do because I'm free. And then we bring that into the Christian life and say, I'm a believer and I'm free. Not even God himself can tell me how to live. I'll define who goes to heaven. I'll define the relationship to him. And so freedom to, to many people is living however we want. And Paul's like, no, no, please. Christ is living in you. Do not use your freedom to fulfill your fleshly desires. Freedom is this. That we are free from sin and we are free to Christ. And we can live in a relationship with him. And we don't take scriptures and say that scripture doesn't apply to me and that scripture doesn't apply to my situation. Because I'm free. Because then we just become slaves to ourselves. And verse 14, Paul said this, says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Spirit-filled life is when you take those passions, and you know those passions, those passions that you and I have to take care of ourselves, to provide for ourselves, to make ourselves happy, to make ourselves fulfilled, all those passions, that we take those passions and we begin directing them to other people as well. And we develop passions for others. And, and some people will push back and say, well, that's an unnatural way to live. And you're exactly right. But that's faith. Expressing itself through love. See, it's a lack of faith that keeps you hanging on to your stuff. Yeah. 
hanging on to your kingdom, hanging on to all of yours. And we need to come to the point to where we believe that God is better than anything this world has to offer. He's enough. That Jesus is enough. And Paul's trying to help them. That when Christ takes over, we live life differently. We run the race differently. Um, my favorite race that Karen ever entered was the tr turkey trot. It was on Thanksgiving. And it was one of those races, and I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's one of those races where you go and you predict how long, down to the seconds, it will take you to run the race. Whoever is the closest wins a turkey. And I don't even think we bought a turkey that year because Karen believed that she would win. And uh, so, you know, being an engineer, previous and all that other stuff, I'm trying to take all of her races and this, that, and the other and average out her time, and, and she's like, no. And so she says, I've, I prayed about it, and God gave me my time, and we're just going to call it good. And in our house, house we, we pray about everything. And uh, so we went. I was still really uncomfortable with the whole thing, and so uh, she ran the race, and I mean, they, they make sure you don't wear watches, you don't have timekeepers, you know, and all this other stuff. And there's hundreds of people who's up in the springs. There's hundreds of people there. And uh, so she came across the finish line. They, you know, they grabbed everybody's time. And so they announced that Karen was the winner, and she got 0.6 tenths of a second to the time that she predicted, to where some people thought she cheated. I mean, you know, because it was just so close. I mean, it was just so close. They're like, how could anyone do that? Karen's like, I prayed. So, <laughs> And so she, she ran that race with an awareness of God. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Run the race with an awareness that as he is leading you, that he cares for you and he loves you. Would you bow your heads with me?